of dawned on me, uh, this, this message is highly metaphorical. If you know me, that's kind of how I roll. I'm very artistic, a little creative. Um, and it kind of dawned on me this morning that sometimes my metaphors have got me in trouble before. Um, way back when I was about, this is a traumatic memory that came back to me this morning. Um, when I was 13 years old, I remember I was changing the sign out here. It's one of the things I did around the church, help out my dad and stuff. And, uh, you know, we were just Googling, Googling sign things, and I found one that said, Jesus is like Tide, he gets all the stains out. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right, what a metaphor. Put that on a sign. Then our, uh, our, our little answering machine box just started just blowing up. There was a lady out there that had a lot of issues. In fact, that I would dare compare her Jesus to a detergent. And she was upset about it. And as a 13-year-old, I said, well, she better not read the Bible because there's a lot of metaphors in there, a lot of similes describing what God is like. It's how, you know, one of the ways we, we like to understand who God is because he's so big and infinite. And so sometimes we use creative metaphors so we can understand what he's like. But anyway, so I knew that as a 13-year-old, but some people may not get that sometimes. So I'm going to use something a little wild today that Jesus Christ is like an action movie star. It's like a superhero. And uh, the thing that's amazing about Jesus, and I was kind of laughing when I was putting together this message. Um, You'll see in my message, I try to, try to use a lot of C words, you know, to make everything blend together real nice. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I could just go through the whole dictionary, and God is this, and he's that, and he's this, and he's that. And you could go on forever and ever and ever because he's just amazing. And so we're just doing a little small piece of the puzzle of, of who God is and how amazing he is and what he can do for you. And sometimes we focus on different aspects of Jesus' character and his qualities because uh, different things kind of will hit people at, at, at different times. And so... Uh, Probably like, I don't know, the past few months, this has kind of been the side of Jesus that's been really kind of highlighted to me and standing out uh, to me here. So uh, we're going to be reading from Mark. And so I'm just going to give you a bit of a forewarning here if you want to put your thumb in the book of Mark. So that's the New Testament, two books into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the, uh, one of the four eyewitness accounts of the story of Jesus. And what's neat is that uh, there's being four different Gospels, there's four kind of different writing styles um, uh, of the Gospels. And Mark, the way he writes, is kind of like an action movie. Um, If if I wrote, I'd probably be a lot like Luke, who's a historian, because I'm I'm very detail-oriented, and I take too long to say things sometimes. But Mark is extremely efficient, and if you read it, it's just like, go, 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 go. One thing after the other, very exciting. If you were actually like to study Mark and figure out what is his favorite word, what's the word he uses the most, the word he uses the most is actually immediately, immediately. Or sometimes you're going to see that here it's translated as at once. And why they sometimes switch it up is because it's very, very jarring. In the first chapter alone, which is where we're going to read from, he uses the word immediately 11 times. 11 times. So if you, if you were to look at all of Mark, he uses it 40 um, 41 times, 41 times of his entire gospel. It's a favorite word, 41 times, immediately, immediately, immediately. And if you were to look at the whole New Testament, the word immediately only appears another 18 times. So this is like extremely disproportionate that he's all about immediately, immediately, immediately. Hard-hitting stuff. You know, and the way he kind of portrays Jesus is kind of like, the, you know, the action movie stars and uh, Depending on which area you watch your movies in, you know, it could be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, um, 
Chris Evans, if you're more modern day, or Sylvester Stallone, Jackie Chan, that kind of stuff. He's, Jesus is like this awe-inspiring adventurer. He just drops jaws. It's, it's like this amazing adventure with a lot of special effects, basically. It's like how Mark, Mark goes. And you'll notice also when you read Mark, and this is all over the place, that wherever Jesus goes, the response is not polite applause. It's shock and awe. It's like they cannot believe what is happening in front of them. They are absolutely confounded and astounded at who, who Jesus is and what they are watching and hearing happen before them. A lot of people like to say, like, you know, if Jesus was here today, this is what he would do. And if you ever see someone do that, there's probably a good chance they haven't read the Bible in a while. Because if you read what, what it was like to actually watch Jesus move and minister, people were shocked. People were absolutely astounded at what he was doing. Uh, that would be our response if he was today. He wouldn't do exactly what you thought he was going to do. He wouldn't fit in your nice little clean box. He would blow your ever-loving mind because he would be absolutely amazing, and he would do things that you've never seen or never thought possible. That's who God is. So those that know me, they know that I love superhero movies. Um, a bit of a nerd in some respects, but I'm a renaissance man. I have many different interests. But anyways, I love being there on opening night because that's when the diehard fans are. And when that movie plays, there's a lot of cheering, and the, the atmosphere is just electric. And I like to think, like, that's what the atmosphere like was when Jesus taught. The anticipation was palpable. People just could not wait for him to show up. And when he did, just the roar that would come from the crowd and the gasps that you, you would hear would, would, would just be wild. It'd be, like, it'd be like these movies, but like times a thousand. That's how amazing he is. But here's, here's this really weird thing, this really weird thing we like to do is we like to take this amazing Jesus, Jesus who's filled with shock and awe, who can't be contained, who can't be tamed, and we like to really dampen him down. We like to tone him down. We like to make him into a, a rom-com star from a G-rated hippie movie. You know, We just like to make Jesus like this nice, cuddly teddy bear that walks around hugging people all the time. And, you know, he's just, he, Jesus would be, you know, he just never would offend anybody. He would... He's just, he's just there to make you feel good. That's, that's the way we often like to portray Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, you probably don't know this, is that the first heresy, the first like, challenge the church, the early church faced, um, that actually nearly completely disrupted early Christianity, was right in line with what I'm talking about here this morning. There was a guy named Marcion, and he is infamous for nearly destroying the church. So about 100 years after Jesus, there's still some people that have been trained by Jesus' disciples around. But this really rich guy shows up, and he decides he wants to be a minister. And he uses that extravagant wealth um, to get a lot of favor, I guess, amongst people. Just to give you an idea of how rich this guy was, um, one of his offerings he dropped was, I think, about, uh, it would be now modern day, probably around $400,000, like that he would, he could just, here, take this. I don't need it. I'll give it to the church. Basically what it cost to like buy a, a decent-sized house, fairly big house these days, basically. That's how much money this guy had. Uh, he ran like a big shipping business. And he, uh, he was a minister's kid also. Man, those minister's kids, I'm telling you. A little messed up sometimes. Um, but anyways, he decided, you know, we need to change Jesus. We need to make him more palatable for the, for the, you know, the culture of the time. Let's tone him down a few notches here. Let's just make him really nice, really presentable so nobody could ever say no to him. He threw out all of the Old Testament, um, a good chunk of the New Testament, wrote his own gospel, the Gospel of Marcion, and started uh, selling it all over the place, you know. And it was actually taken off like wildfire. 
And so the, the church actually had to rise up. And it was kind of amazing that the church all of a sudden had this instant consensus. And they came together and they said, this is not right. This is not the gospel. Who you are representing is not Jesus. They said, we cannot edit Jesus. We can't change God for our own convenience. You cannot pick and choose which qualities or commands of God we like. To, we like and, and then you just discard the rest. You can't do that to Jesus. So th- this battle that we're going to go through today, this has been going on a very long time. It's um, something that is... Uh, that has caused a lot of pain and hurt in the, in the church that has drawn many away is when you change Jesus to make him you know, a little more palatable, make him a little more nice, uh, make him more like that rom-com star, make him more like a teddy bear. And so I'm going to go into these action movie star qualities of Jesus here this morning and why we need them. And uh, to use a bit of another, another metaphor, another example here, is the qualities of Jesus kind of like uh, a big symphony filled with all sorts of different instruments. We just have... Uh, smaller band. We don't have, we don't have a, a symphony here uh, this morning, a big old orchestra. But if you were to remove one of the instruments, you would notice it would change the sound. If you said, you know what, I don't like bass guitar, and so you kicked the bass guitar off the platform, no offense from all, all of a sudden, all those bass tones are just lost. You take out the guitar, you don't like electric guitar, well, all of a sudden you lose some of the rhythm. You take out the piano, you lose some of the melody. You take out um, one of the singers, you lose some of the harmony. You take out the drummer, all of a sudden you lose some of the beat. And that's what it's like when you take out qualities from Jesus. You're disrupting this beautiful symphony where all of these wonderful parts all come together to, uh, to show who Jesus is. And then, you know, when it comes to these action movie star qualities, they're kind of like the percussion, se- uh, the percussion section. It's my favorite section. And without them, we lose a lot of the oomph of Jesus. We lose, we lose a lot of the power. So we're going to read from Mark 1. That's my long-winded intro, but whatever. I'm kind of known for those. Uh, Mark 1, 12 through 32. It's a lot of scripture today, 20 whole verses. We're going to go through some of these action movie star qualities. So this begins right after Jesus is baptized. So he's, this is literally, he's starting his ministry. And here we go, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John, this John the Baptist, his cousin, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the the brother of Simon, casting a net into, into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And then he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, and he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was... In their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, this is a demonic spirit, and he cried out, what have, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And an unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, that's also immediately, his, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, then cast out many demons. And he would, have, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That's an action movie right there. That is some hard-hitting action, one thing after the other. Go, go, go. It's amazing. Mark's just like that. So I want to focus on some of these qualities that Jesus is showing, some of these action movie-style qualities Jesus is showing in this passage of Scripture. The first one here is that Jesus chases us. He is in pursuit. He's continually on the move. He is a man on a mission. What is an action movie without someone on a mission? There's always a mission in an action movie. I need to do this. And his mission, just like action movies, is to save the world. And Jesus is going everywhere and doing whatever he, t- he can to save the world. He's a man on a mission. That is the purpose that drives every other characteristic of God, that he wants to save the world. He wants to save your soul. He wants to save the soul of every person out there. He wants every person out there to encounter him, to be in a relationship with him. That drives everything about Jesus. So some people don't like that, that Jesus is extremely aggressive. He's on the offensive. He's always coming after people. Some people just want to be left alone in their sin. They want to be left alone in the ways they're doing things, and that's not Jesus' style. He's going to chase you every day of your life. Even once you become a Christian, he's still going to chase you because there's always more of him, and there's always um, more of you that, that you can kind of uh, grow closer to God, God with. And there's always areas of your heart that... <laughs> that are like unpioneered land, basically, undiscovered, that Jesus needs to go in there and bring light into the darkness. Um, he's just always, 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 always coming after us. He's fierce like that. Uh, there's a song that we sing sometimes here called Reckless Love. Reckless Love. And it's about, you know, from our perspective, when we just look at you know, how God, God's love is described biblically, like it kind of seems reckless. It seems pretty wild because... He'll, he just goes, goes, goes. No matter what, he's coming after us. He's coming after us. Um, you know, whether his love is ever um, given back to him or not, there he is going. He's always giving, always giving. If someone had money and they were just always giving, you'd think that's kind of reckless. That's kind of, but that's what God's like. But his love's infinite, so he's never going to run out of it. So he's just giving, giving, giving. There's a really cool line that's in there uh, that... It's in the song here that says, it's in the bridge that says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. God is passionate about chasing you, and he'll never, ever, ever quit. His love is this raging inferno. It is powerful beyond measure. It, it, it never runs out of power. It never runs out of steam. So you might think, you know, I'm... I, I'm beyond God. You know, I've, I've, I've done too much. God's not coming for me. He doesn't like me or something like that. Uh-uh. God is always coming for you. Um, no matter how many times you've hurt him, no matter how many times you've sinned against him, no matter how many times you've spit in his face, there he is coming after you, chasing you down, desperate for a relationship with you. He loves you so much that he wants to radically transform your life and help you become the person uh, that you were always meant to become. He's always there knocking on the door, to, door of your heart. He is always in pursuit of you even once you become a Christian. That he wants, he wants to give you more and more and more of him. And he wants you to give, you, uh, he wants you to give your, um, more and more and more of yourself to, to God as well. He's always wanting to be a bigger and bigger part of your life. 
So bringing us to point number two here. This one a lot of people don't like. Jesus confronts, he convicts, he challenges, and he changes us. See, some people might be okay being chased by God. You know, okay, cool, he's coming after me. But what they don't like is that a part of that process is that he will confront, he will convict, he, you know, he, he'll, he'll challenge, and he wants to change you. A lot of people out there, they don't want to change. They don't want to be confronted about some of the stuff that they've been doing that's not so good. They don't want to feel bad maybe about some of the, the choices they've made in life. And so they don't want Jesus that comes near. They don't want Jesus that's going to talk to them like this. They just want to be left alone. They want to stay the same. But Jesus loves you so much that he isn't going to leave you the same. I like to think, you know, these action movies, the old westerns. I've seen a few of these because my dad really loved westerns. Uh, Clint Eastwood. I think he's, he's walking down that main street of that old western town and the bad guy's facing him. And Clint Eastwood would say with steely eyes, there's not enough room in this town for the both of us. And that's what Jesus does <laughs> when he shows up and he looks at kind of your sin, your unrighteousness, all the filth that's in your life. He says, hey, there's not enough room in this heart for the both of us. And he actually facilitates a confrontation to say one of us has got to go. Some people don't like that. Don't like that Jesus is confrontational like that. He shows up and he kind of declares war in the dark parts of our heart. Here's Jesus' first sermon. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's the R word of the Bible. People do not like the R word. Repent. Don't like that one. A lot of people like to remove repentance from all sorts of heretical, new and improved versions of Christianity. The fact that we need to change, that we need to um, move away from the dark things that we do. People don't like that. They want to stay the same. Jesus' first uh, first, first message is we need to repent and believe in the gospel. The good news of Jesus coming to save us. Right before Jesus was John the Baptist, what did he preach about? Repentance. Right after Jesus was the disciples, you'll notice their very first message, repentance. If you want to know what is Jesus' very last message that he preaches, that's in Revelation. What does he say? Repent. Now you think, what is Jesus badgering us here that we need to change? No, there's so much more to what's going on here. See, God loves you where you're at. He, he does. His, his love is unconditional. But he also loves you so much that he's not going to leave you the same. Because he knows that there's things that are in your life that are hurting you. And he hates seeing that because he loves you so much. He hates seeing you get hurt. He hates seeing you getting eaten alive by the sin that's in your life. He hates seeing that all the sin that's in your life, all the darkness, that it, you know, it just bubbles out of you and it starts to hurt other people too. Because they are also the sons and the daughters of God, his beloved, that hurts his heart too. And so he wouldn't be the loving God that he is if he didn't say that I need to change that aspect of you because it's hurting you, because it's hurting others. That's why God wants us to repent. He wants us to turn from that. And, and God will use any method at his disposal to get people to turn away, to get people to wake up to the fact that there is this darkness within them that is causing problems, that is eating them alive, that is messing up their life, that is preventing them from being who, who God really wants them to be. And he, throughout Scripture, you'll see Jesus use all sorts of different methods of how to reach people. Sometimes he's very, very gentle. He's kind. He meets people in the middle of their sin, in the middle of their shame, and he says, it's okay. I'm here now. Other times, Jesus will speak, and it looks like he's just striking fear into people's hearts. 
You know, and today we'd be like, hey, that's fear-mongering. You, you can't do that. But Jesus is basically saying, like, listen, your, your days are numbered, and tomorrow your number could be up. This could be the end of your life tomorrow. You need to live your life in such a way that your life matters. Every day counts. Each day could be your last. And so Jesus would talk about, yeah, th- things, like, things like that with people. And then sometimes they'd be kind of be frightened. They'd be scared because they would realize, you know what? Time's running out. I've wasted time. I haven't been living a life that's been honoring God. Sometimes he would just sober people right up by talking about hell. Other times he would get people really excited thinking about heaven. Sometimes he just hung out with people, people that were lonely, people that were rejected by society. He would just hang out with them. That was his methodology to get them to come to him and for their lives to be transformed. Sometimes, and this is stuff people really don't like about Jesus, sometimes he very passionately pointed out people's hypocrisy and pride. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Matthew 23. And it has some of the best Jesus quotes around in my books anyways. Where he, he's looking at these religious leaders that thought they were the bee's knees, but they were, they were actually extremely hypocritical and they were messing up basically uh, the, the Jewish religion for like everybody in the area because they added all sorts of commands onto things to, and that they would follow. And anyways, they were just extremely hypocritical, very full of themselves. And if you ever get into this phase, this is extremely dangerous when you become very, very prideful. Um, just to be real here, I've seen a lot of this over COVID. People become extremely prideful and arrogant, and they just believe they know what's up. They know the truth. And if you ever get into this phase, all I say is look out, because again, God loves you, and he's going to reach you. And if you're in this kind of, um, this kind of a mode, um, it's not, it's not going to be pretty, basically. Jesus has to Bring something pretty loud and persuasive to your life for you to wake up and say, whoa, okay, um, something's wrong here. I've gotten too arrogant and, and humble yourself. So Jesus is continually chasing after people. He's continually confronting and challenging them to repent. So let's define repentance here. So Eugene Peterson, uh, he, he wrote a, a translation of the Bible called the Message Translation. Uh, this is what he describes repentance as. It is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself, your neighbor, and your world. And it is deciding that God and Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is the realization that God wants from, that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. See, repentance is really a decision. A lot of people think it's just like anguish and feeling sorry for yourself. No, it's a decision. It means to turn around. The way I've been living my life before, it's not right and I'm going to turn. Uh, or maybe there's just an area of my life that hasn't been going right and so I'm going to turn. I'm going to go back to God. I'm going to follow his ways. That's what re- repentance is. Noticing we're building our lives on the wrong thing. Or there's an area of our life where the foundation is a little messed up and it needs to change. But people don't like this. This is huge today. People do not like admitting that they were wrong. How often do you see that in today's political climate? I was wrong. Maybe even a little bit. You just don't see people do that. They will just double down and again and again and again. And then they become so divided. And it's honestly, it's, it's, it's bad. It's a bad, bad scene. You know, people don't like that feeling of admitting they're wrong or saying, you know, I've made a mistake because they don't want to deal with that uncomfortable emotion. They don't want to go through that, those, those feelings of, of feeling sorry for themselves. They don't want to go through that time of apologizing to people that, hey, I messed up. I'm sorry what I did for you. People don't want to go through that mess. But here's the thing, when you run from the pain, you're running from re- redemption. I'll say that again, when we run from the pain, we're running from redemption. Because repentance isn't just 
that one moment of, of, of turning, or it's not just that, that anguish of merely feeling bad about ourselves. It's also the process of being completely and utterly redeemed and set free. See, when you allow repentance to go through the whole process, it's actually an extremely beautiful thing. We have a church filled with people that can turn back and look at all the stuff that they have repented from, all the stuff that they have turned from, and how better their life is because of that. And they are so thankful that they went through that process, and their life has been radically and utterly transformed. Because that's what Jesus does. He doesn't just leave you there in that mess and make you feel bad for yourself. No, 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 he transforms you. And he gets your eyes on the prize and he gets you walking in the right direction again. And, and he radically changes your life. And, you know, the Bible says that he will turn your mourning into dancing, your sorrows into joy. He makes beauty out of your ashes. That's who he is. That's what he can do for you. When we, when we turn, he is right there every step along the way to make whatever we've done into something that shows the glory and the splendor of God. Um, another TV show that's totally not an action movie, but some people might like this one, is I like to think of Repentance as kind of like the TV show Extreme Home Makeover. If you ever see that show, a bunch of people all of a sudden, they'll come up to a really dilapidated house. It's just not, not so good. And this team shows up filled with sledgehammers, hard hats, and bulldozers. And my goodness, did they ever go to town on that place? And they go in and they remove the rot. They go in there and get, get the mold out. And they take things right down to the studs sometimes. And they just rebuild. And they make something absolutely magnificent. And that's what Jesus does in your heart. He rolls in with some supernatural bulldozers. He, you know, he's in there with a the sledgehammer. And he just begins to take down all of these things that have, begin to, that have messed up your life. All of these lies that you believe. There he is shattering them with a the sledgehammer. And he's bringing this new righteousness, this, this new cleanliness, this new holiness to your life. And it's something that when he's done that process that you were utterly amazed about. He, it's just a beautiful sight when he's done. It's, 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 it's perfect and it's holy. Another scene I, I think of is also like, this is very common in action movies, is that when there's a bomb and the bomb needs to be defused and you need somebody that has the expertise to cut the right wires at the right time. And that's what Jesus is like. He's the world's most brilliant, like, heart surgeon. He can go into the bombs that are in your heart, all the, you know, that pain, that hurt, and the destruction, and he can very gently cut the right wires at the right time and perform some surgery. He's in there with a little scalpel. God's a God of bulldozers and sledgehammers, but he's also a God of the scalpel, too. And he'll make the very most minute cuts. And sometimes this process of healing can hurt a bit, but God will hurt you to heal you. This process of cutting out all the bad that's in our lives, yeah, that, that can hurt, but it's part of healing you. Sometimes this process can be, it can be maybe even humiliating. It can, it, it can be a time of sorrow and sadness. It's not easy, and again, this is why people don't want to go through this. But God does not leave you there. He does not leave you in your shame. He has never been somebody that just points out your shame or points out your unrighteousness and just leaves you there in that mess. That's never been who Jesus is. In the middle of your mess, he comes alongside you and says, yes, you have done this bad thing or this bad thing. Yes, your heart is filled with darkness. It is filled with sin, but I'm not going to leave you here because I've came to make a way for you to be righteous again. And if you just follow me, I can show you the way to live a holy and righteous life. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing that you've ever done that is bigger or greater than the, the work of God. There is nothing that you've ever done that God cannot redeem. He can make 
good things out of anything that has ever gone on in your life. He's amazing like that. He's faithful and just to forgive you, to remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. It's like, another scripture says it's like throwing a little pebble into the ocean. Good luck ever finding it again. It's gone. It's gone. That is what he will do for your life. So yes, it can, it can be very uncomfortable, those moments of admitting, I was wrong or I made a mistake or I'm not perfect. But when God walks you through that process, he's going to make something beautiful out of it. And here's something also amazing. He's going to turn your misery into a ministry. What you've walked through before, you can now help people get out of way sooner. Uh, you can be a light into the darkness and, and God he will completely and utterly redeem what you've walked through and use it for his glory and use it for his mission to save the world. Finally, uh, sorry, point three actually had four points. That was a premature finally. That was one of those uh, fake endings. Anyways, <laughs> Jesus calls, commands, and confounds us. There's some other things that people don't like about Jesus. His action movie star quality is a little bit gritty here. So a very common theme in action movies is when the hero shows up, they're in charge. See in the Avengers, if Captain America shows up on the scene and there's some army dudes or there's some police officers, Captain America's in charge now. He's the captain. You're going to listen to what he says. That's just how it is. They defer to his plan and his ways, his expertise. If Rambo shows up, he's in charge. Wonder Woman, you better fall in line. You better do what she says. Jackie Chan, he's the man. Just do what he says. He's in charge now. That's just how it rolls all the time in action movies. Hero shows up, okay, they're in charge. We're going to do what you said. Even if like some guy's like a general or something, all of a sudden he'd be like, okay, whatever this guy, this random guy, Rambo, even though he's kind of like a little crazy, he's in charge. He's, that's just how, that's how it is. But anyways, same thing, but even dialed up way more for Jesus. When he shows up on the scene, guess what? He's in charge. People don't like that, do not like that. See, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's there for the whole deal, the whole real meal deal, every part of you, every inch of you. And holy smokes, does that rub people the wrong way? They do not want someone else to be in charge of their life. They do not want someone else's hands to be on the wheel. We do not like to be in submission to somebody else. We don't want to be told what to do. Don't like it. hate it. But I'm telling you, when Jesus shows up, and it's just like those heroes in the movie, you're very thankful they showed up. Because you are outgunned and outmatched. You are facing something that you cannot beat on your own. You're underqualified. But when Jesus shows up, when that hero shows up, the supernatural shows up, all of a sudden the tide has changed. And you know you're going to win now. And you see that continually that in movies. But you'll always see in movies that there's somebody who just can't lay down their ego. And they say, you know what? I, I just, I'm not following you. I'm doing my own thing. I think I know better. Again, notice in action movies that never ends well for that person. I'm just going to do my own thing, okay? I don't, I don't trust you, the hero. Same people do that with Jesus. You try to go your own way, it's not going to end well. You're not the king of kings and the lord of lords. Sorry to break it to you. You're not, you know, infinite and all-knowing like, like God is. You're not all-powerful. He's way above your pay grade. It's not even funny. Here's the other neat thing also with action movies. If you, if you get to go along with the hero, you get to go along... You know, with that, that super-powered person or whatever. You get to experience an overwhelming victory. You get to be a part of the winning team. Same thing with Jesus. You come alongside him. He'll do all the heavy lifting, but you get to experience the victory. And an overwhelming victory at that. You get to be a part of saving the day. You get to be a part of the team that gets to save the world. 
You walk away from Jesus, you miss out on all of that. See, when Jesus is in charge, he gives you a calling. He calls you to a new purpose. You follow his mission and his purposes. He'll call you to a purpose. He will command you to drop what you're doing and follow him. And again, people don't like that because they like what they're doing. They like what they think their purpose is. But Jesus will come, come in and he'll give you a new purpose. He'll give you a new calling. We see this when Jesus was commanding his disciples to follow him. Just again, reading from Mark 1 here, it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. That's actually really scary when you come to think of it. Imagine whatever your job is, there you are in, in your office or in your truck, whatever you're doing, and Jesus shows up and he says, drop it and let's go. There goes your, your economic security right there. You might be part of a family business like these guys are, and Jesus says, drop it, let's go. I have something else for you. That is very scary. People do not like that about Jesus, that when he comes into your life, he can mess it up. He messes up your life. When we preach the gospel, we don't often articulate that the gospel can mess up your life. <laughs> I know it's messed up mine. I'm sure we can do a big show of hands here. <laughs> God has changed the direction and the courses of our lives a lot. And it's been for the better. Just imagine, these guys could have just been fishermen. Fishing's cool and all, but getting that front row seat watching someone walk on water, calm the storm, heal diseases, cast out demons is infinitely better. And because these guys dropped their nets and followed Jesus, they got to experience that. They followed the call. And when we refuse to follow the call, we miss out on all that God has for us. And again, we, we don't like that aspect of Jesus because we fear. We fear taking that leap of faith. But you will never experience all the goodness that God has for you if you don't take those leaps of faith. And here's what makes a lot of this worse. <laughs> is a lot of the times these calls and commands don't make a whole lot of sense in the moment. A lot of Jesus' teaching, if you were to go through it, people were confused. And like, a lot of stuff made sense after he like, rose from the dead and conquered the grave. But in the moment, they were like, what's going on here? What's happening? We've all been in that moment where we say, God, what's going on here? What's happening? What are you doing? Because I don't understand this, and this makes no sense to me. The commands can sometimes make no sense. Because, you know, these disciples had to walk away from their family, walk away from their, their income, and essentially had to be homeless with no income and solely rely on the generosity of others for a few years. Like, that's a radical shift. That's a radical change. Um, that's, that's something a financial advisor would never tell you to do. Let's go back to uh, Mark 1 again and just look at the confusion that happens with Jesus here. This is when he was casting out demons. Uh, verse 27 says, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. His, he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. Just imagine seeing that for the first time. You would just be shocked. What just happened? What's going on here? Who is this guy? There was just like this confusion often wherever Jesus went because he was doing things that were so far above what people could comprehend. Seeing someone have power over demons was absolutely wild. But here's what's also really wild, and people don't like this about Jesus. 
He says, love your enemies. What life coach is going to tell you to do that? Love your enemies. Forgive people. Deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. People don't like that. That's pretty wild. Or here's another really wild one. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, discipling every nation. That's a pretty big command. That's pretty scary. People don't like that. So just think of how big and how powerful and you know, wide-ranging and life-changing these commands of Jesus was. That confounded and confused a lot of people. Let's just go through Scripture. You're going to see a lot of this. Very hard often for people to wrap their heads around who God is and what he was doing. In Mark 4, just fast forward a few chapters. As I kind of mentioned already, he's standing in a, he's standing in a boat and he's, he commands a storm to calm down. Mark says the disciples are shocked and scared. They've never seen anything like that in their life. They couldn't believe what they had just seen. They couldn't compute that in their head. Who is this guy and how did he do that? Mark, Mark 5, there's a lady with an incurable blood disorder. She crawls and just touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's radically healed. She is absolutely shocked to the point of shaking because she just realized she encountered the living God. Can't, can't work it out in her head how that just happened. All I did is touch the hem of his garment, and now I'm healed. What's going on here? A few verses later, the crowd's actually mocking Jesus because he shows up where this, this little girl had just died. And he says, oh, oh, you know, it's no, it's no problem. She's just sleeping. I'm going to go wake her up. And they were mocking Jesus. <laughs> and he goes and he raises her from the dead. And what's the crowd's reaction? They're overcome with amazement. Overcome. Couldn't handle it. Their pride was just, their pride balloon just got popped. They just saw a guy who they were just mocking a second ago raise somebody from the dead. They couldn't handle it. Chapter 6, Jesus walks on water. Mark says the disciples are utterly astounded. Like I just defied the laws of physics. It's who Jesus is. Like when he is doing his stuff, people are just utterly astounded. You can't wrap your head around what's going on here because this is amazing. This is incredible. This is supernatural. Fast forward another couple chapters here. Jesus is on a mountaintop with just a few of his disciples. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses show up. And the glory of God is so powerful there. They're seeing Jesus like what he would be like in heaven. What's the response? Said they were so terrified they went into a state of shock. Couldn't comprehend that. That's just above their pay grade. Heaven coming to earth like that. These guys, they wrote, they heard stories about Elijah and Moses. Thousands of years before them, all of a sudden they're standing there in front of them. They can't comprehend that. They can't work that out in their head how that's possible. That's who Jesus is. He's so ultra powerful like that, that sometimes he just shocks us with what he can do. Next chapter, Mark, Mark uh, 10, Jesus is just teaching about money. You think, hey, that's pretty low-key. But it's so amazing that what's people's response to it? They're greatly astounded. Astounded. Can't believe it. Their minds are blown. Who is this Jesus? Why is his teaching just so powerful? Hard to wrap their head around. And then finally in Mark 16, when he rises from the grave, first people to see it, what's their response seeing that someone just rose from the dead? Brought themselves back to life. First women, that saw, first women that saw that, they were shocked to the point of trembling. And they were so bewildered, they were at a complete loss for words. Actually, how Mark ends is like, people just, the whole theme throughout Mark is like, this is who Jesus is. He shocks you. He's, he's, he's awe-inspiring. He's amazing. He's supernatural. And that's, 
the pinnacle of the story is the resurrection. That's still that same response, and then even dialed up some, even some more. It's just absolutely bewildered at what they just saw, that someone just came back from the dead here. Someone rose again. Someone has the power over death, like they said. They were absolutely amazed. That's kind of the amazing thing about the book of Mark. It is just so filled with shock. It's like one of those thriller movies where you're all on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen next. That's what the book of Mark is, is like. And the people's response to Jesus is just like just gasping in, in just awe, and they could not believe how incredible God is. And we often forget this aspect of God. If Jesus was in the room right now, I'm telling you, he wouldn't walk through those doors with a little polite applause, with some thumbs up and some finger guns. No, we'd, <laughs> we would be in utter shock. We couldn't handle it. It'd just be so incredible and amazing because of the raw power and majesty that he has. That's who Jesus is. Not the toned-down teddy bear we like to make him into be. So this is my actual conclusion here. So the musicians can make their way back to the stage. We're going to end with a song here. But I'm going to talk about one more characteristic, one more action movie characteristic of Jesus. And that is that Jesus conquers all. If you watch action movies, you will realize that the hero always saves the day. They always win in the end. And Jesus always wins. He is undefeated. He holds the championship belt and it's never been taken from him. He conquers all. There is nothing that could ever be thrown at him that he cannot conquer. Now going back to those old Western movies, the climax of the story, or one of the cool moments anyways, where does it often happen? Sundown. There's going to be a shootout at sundown. You might not have realized that there was one of those sundown shootouts here within the book of Mark. We read it already. Chapter 1 here at the very end. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So here's Jesus in one of them sundown battles, one of them old westerns. And here he is going toe-to-toe with all the powers of darkness in that city. All the sicknesses also that people would have. All the diseases. Literally the entire city shows up for this this battle. See who this Jesus guy really is. And what does Jesus do? Well, just what he always does. He has a resounding victory. He had a captive audience in that moment. And he proceeded to kick butt and take names. Every demon that showed up trembled at his name to the point that they couldn't even speak because Jesus wouldn't allow it. They knew who he was. And he cast out all the demonic right out of that city. Every disease, every medical issue that was thrown at him, he conquered. He healed because that's who Jesus is. He is a conquering king. Literally the first characteristic that Jesus shows in Mark 1 So he gets baptized. What happens? The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. His first act of ministry was to make himself as weak as humanly possible. Fast for 40 days. And then when he was as weak as humanly possible, he decided he would go toe-to-toe with the devil in the flesh there on earth. And what did he do? He throttled him. He showed him who was boss. Everything the devil threw at him, he easily beat. Because that's who God is. See, we often don't beat the the tricks and the temptations of the devil. But God does, and he does it easily. 
and his victories are resounding. He doesn't just squeak by. It's complete and utter domination. Jesus takes the enemy to school and shows him who's boss. They are not at the same level as him. They are like a little candle and he's like the raging ball of fire that is the sun. There is no comparison. So that's Jesus' first act of ministry. What's his last one? Rising from the grave, showing the powers of darkness once and for all that they cannot contain him, they cannot slow him down. They do not have any power or authority over him whatsoever. So he bookended his ministries with resounding victories over the devil, resounding victories over the powers of darkness. And he's doing that purposely. He says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, who I am. When the devil comes after me, when he comes after you, when he comes after my people, there's going to be a resounding victory. It's not going to be pretty. I encourage you to read the Bible whenever God has to go toe-to-toe with the powers of darkness. It's not, it's not a little close battle. It's a resounding victory. That's who he is. See, we live in a world today that is filled with brokenness. It is filled with, with darkness. It's filled with pain. And if we tone down Jesus to just like this little cuddly teddy bear, that cuddly teddy bear can't exactly do anything about that brokenness and that pain and that darkness. There are some powerful strongholds of darkness out there. There are some very complicated societal problems out there. But when we tone Jesus down to be this super nice guy, who just wants to cuddle us, pat your head, well, that, that fake Jesus, he's powerless to save this, this desperate world. But a God that chases relentlessly, who is brave enough to challenge and confront and change the darkness within the world. A God that takes charge and gives us new missions and purposes that will run a rough shot over the enemy. Now that's a God that can tear down any obstacle that faces his way. That is a God worth having faith in. That is a God who is worth more than polite applause. That is a God that brings shock and awe wherever he goes. That is a God that makes you want to get out of your seat and worship him. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. We're just going to declare the goodness of God. Whatever darkness is in your heart, whatever darkness you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, let's declare the goodness and the greatness of God. He's someone that makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's one that conquers every situation. And we need to remember that. He is bigger than politics. He he is bigger um, than our economic problems. He's bigger than it all. He is greater than it all. He can handle it. He can do it all. So let's spend some time here worshiping. Let's stand to our feet. We'll sing one more song. And when that song's done, we're dismissed. If you want to leave, that's cool. If you want to come up for prayer, any situation at all, and I'll pray for you as well. Thank you for coming to church.